Welcome to The Truth in His Heart, your source for conversations on arts and culture. I'm your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm thrilled to welcome my next guest, the curator and director of artistic programs at the Clay Studio in Philadelphia. With extensive experience in the art world, my guest administers various programs and has taught and lectured around the world, as well as representing the Clay Studio as a founding board member of Craft Now Philadelphia. Please welcome Jennifer Zwilling. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for for making the time uh, today. And um, I want to start off with sort of the um, the introductory sort of origin story oriented question. So um, I'm like, tell me more about your background. Like, tell us about your background and um, what influenced you to pursue like a career within the arts, around the arts. Um, and we just like, I guess, start there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I fell in love with museums as a kid when um, I went to places with my parents. We went to the Brooklyn Museum. Um, I visited the Tenement Museum on the Lower East Side of Manhattan when I was a kid. So it was always kind of museums that had a historical bent. At the Brooklyn Museum, it was the period rooms. So anytime you could go in and feel like you were in the past, sure. just was really exciting to me. So. That led me to be a history major as a college kid. And I just love thinking about history and imagining what life was like. Um, and that led me to study abroad in Spain. And I was in Sevilla. I took my first art history class. We were walking around. And I just looked up at the cathedral and realized that the history of that place was written right on the facade of the cathedral. There are Moorish tiles from the period when um, Spain was ruled by the Moors, by the Islamic people. There are Christian symbols, Jewish symbols, and you could just see it all. So it wasn't, it didn't have to be in a piece of paper written down a document. It could just be an, an object of beauty. Sure. So I got back to school and in the U.S., and all of a sudden they had hired an art historian, coincidentally. <laughs> It was amazing. Um, so I took my first class here, and then I decided to um, go to grad school for art history. I got an internship at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and I learned that there was this thing called decorative arts, meaning yeah. chairs and tables and ceramic vases and things that people use in everyday life but are beautiful because people from the beginning of time have been embellishing their stuff. We love beauty. We embellish our bodies. We wear jewelry. We embellish the pots that we carry water in, all that stuff. And again, it just made me feel like I could, like I had a time machine, like I could just connect with people from the past. And I realized that that kind of tells you something about humanity because sure. if it's something that's true for someone 100 years ago, 500 years ago, you can see the thread of what's still true today. And I just, I loved that idea. Um, and I decided I wanted to work in a museum because although I love digging into the research, I didn't feel like I needed to preach to the choir. Sure. You know, people who are already art historians, I didn't need to be a professor. I wanted to talk to people who I could tell them this stuff for the first time and they would get excited about it. So that's kind of my my mission as as a curator. I want to help connect everyday people to artists from the present to the past and just get that same feeling of excitement that I get when I look at something creative. So I'm, I'm hearing, and thank you, thank you. Um, 
and, and I'm hearing sort of a few different things in there. Uh, I, I can't help but think of sort of the time travel thing. I can't help but think of that. I almost look at it like, you know, the way you were describing things, almost like maybe you're the conductor in a, a little bit of like, oh, we're going to go in the past and look at this, and this is a bit of the history we're going to go to, and now let's go to the forward in the future and see how things have changed and how they've progressed, but we're still doing the same thing. So I, I like when when someone paints that sort of story and it feels like it could be, I think it's relatable in a different way when it's presented in that, ma- that fashion. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I love giving tours, um, in historic houses or just walking down the street. If you ever walk around Philly with me, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. I will not be able to help myself from telling you about, you know, the history of this building or what happened on that street corner or um, all those things that I just, again, I get excited, so I want to share it with other people. Thank you. I, um, on, on the way over here, um, one of the things I like to do, and I think it kind of I think one of the things um, for someone that's doing something creative, doing a creative pursuit, you have to get yourself in a position to create. You have to get yourself in a position and ready, almost like warming your muscles up. Um, So for me in getting here, I'm like, I got to get a coffee. Otherwise, I'm going to be useless. (laughs) Not really, but I'm not going to be at 100. And um, I like to walk. I like to walk from like usually if I'm coming over here to Red Philly, I'm leaving from the train station and I'm like walking straight down, just straight down wherever I'm going. And today I took, I think, Samson and I was like, oh, this looks different. I've never taken that way down. Mm. And I'm seeing all of these different things that are giving me different ideas. I was like, where's my notepad? I got to write this down. So I would love to take a tour. (laughs) I'd like to get that extra context. Sure. Anytime. So um, talk talk about a bit. What is uh, the Clay Studio? And. Talk about the mission of it for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the curator and director of artistic programs at the Clay Studio. I've been there about eight years, um, but the organization was founded in 1974. It was just five artists right out of um, grad school who wanted shared studio space. And in the 70s, you could just go to Old City, Philly, and find a giant warehouse that five grad students could afford to rent. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Um So they rented it. They started inviting other people. And it's really started out as people who realized that working together in community was going to do something for them. They had already experienced it in college and grad school, and they wanted to continue that. Um, Because when you're being creative and you're around other people who are also being creative, you're going to feel that energy. Um, And it was a pretty inward-facing organization. It was them and their friends. But... After only a few years, in 1979, they became a nonprofit organization, started teaching classes, started kind of looking outward a little bit. And then over the next two decades, that continued. In 1994, they started the Claymobile program, and that is two minivans (laughs) with teachers who take all the stuff they need to teach a clay class to the schools. Oh, wow. They do the classes there, they bring the stuff back to fire it, and then they bring it back to the kids. So school kids get a chance to make something from start to finish from clay, which is really powerful. Yeah. You feel like you are you have agency. You can create something. You can make a mug that you can actually use. You can give it to someone as a gift. I mean, in today's society, we are so used to going to Ikea and paying 50 cents for a cup. I love that. <laughs> but also just not – most people – don't really get that you can make something on your own. I used to give tours at the art museum and there was, I always think of this tour I gave to a school group and we were looking at 
chairs from the 18th century. And this little boy said, but is it real? Hmm. And I really stopped and I thought, what does he mean? Is it real? Does that mean, can you use it? Does it mean, is it a prop? Does it mean somebody made it with their hands? You know, like all these things could possibly, it, it was such an important question, really. Yeah. Um, so my point is, it you know, it gives people power. It empowers them to, to make something on their own. So that program grew. Um, we have, we um, have all kinds of other community engagement programs that we do. So if we went from a place that was about artists sure. to a place that's about serving artists and community together. Um, so now we just moved into a new building last April. We have 600 students in our school every term. There's four terms a year. We see 4,000 kids through the Claymobile program. We have 12 resident artists, 40 associate artists who um, share studio space. We have a shop with 75 artists. We have a gallery. And we still go out to free festivals all over the city. So we probably reach, we do reach tens of thousands of people every year, which is really exciting, um, especially coming from having worked at the art museum where we got, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of people came in and looked at art. And I think that's really important. But when you engage with the clay studio, you get to usually make something with your own hands, sure. which is exciting. As the curator, I also think it's important to look at the art in the gallery. Um, but I love that we can connect those two things. Did I did I answer your question? I'm not yes, sure. Yes, you did. <laughs> Actually, you, you answered uh, the part two and three of the question as well. So thank you. And uh, I, I think it's really interesting. And thank you for sharing some of that in that background, because I was like, I didn't have any idea of the reach. You know, it's like you can look up some things, but unless you hear directly from the person, it's like, oh, this is what's written out there. But eh, this is really what went down. This is how it's operating. And in addition, like. I'll say yesterday, like I worked with the, I um, had an interview with the ceramic artist yesterday. And so a little bit of an arc here. Uh -huh. And um, I remarked upon like this, this time where I went to a, um, a, a class, a ceramics class. And it was like one of those team building things. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'll say this, and I, and I said it then, um, it, it is powerful when you're able to make something. Um, I, and it's funny, you're wearing the same color she was wearing, by the way. <laughs> What's up? What's up with you people? What's, what's going on? I don't know. Burgundy, it's a thing. Burgundy is one of my favorite well, you colors. You too. You're wearing the same color. I'm just branding, if anything. But <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things I was able to do there um, was I was able to make a shot glass and a bowl, and uh, and it's it such a ridiculous thing. And I'm sitting there really into it. And I was like, I know who I'm giving this to, and because I think it's important to give like gifts sometimes, and I think it's something added to it when it's something that you've made. So. There is the the bowl and the shot glass. So I gave the the bowl to my to my girlfriend. I gave the I kept the shot glass for myself, and I told her I was like, whenever you come over my place, the shot glass is for you. No. And she was just like, wow. And um, so when I go over her place, she's like, oh, your bowl is in there. Go put your chips in there or what have you. She's like, no one else touches that bowl. So it's kind of this weird exchange, um, but definitely it holds a certain regard because it's like you made this, and that's really cool. Yeah, it also had something to do, I think, with. Clay is earth, yeah. you know, it unites all of us. We're sharing the earth and it, it comes out of the ground. And um, when you touch it and you are shaping it, it just feels really um, powerful and connecting to everything that's going on around us. Yeah. So 
could you talk about like some of those like big experiences within your career, like having the you know the, the art history background, you know, American uh, decorative arts and contemporary craft, mm-hmm. the, um, and that that sort of background, how that plays a role in what you're doing now, like with um, the Clay Studio. Talk about that a bit. Yeah, that's a great question. When I was in grad school. Um, I mentioned that thing. I always, I knew I wanted to work in a museum. Um, when you're in an art history program, most of your professors, you know, they're professors. They kind of expect you to do the same thing to a certain extent. Um, and the first thing that happened was when I went from a history major in undergrad to an art history major. I will say I loved my teachers, but there was this, oh, why do you want to do art history? That's f- like art. It's like history light because it has a different kind of you know, documentation, I don't know what it is, but there is a sort of an academic looking down the nose at Mm. art history. (laughs) And then art historians have a tendency to look down their nose a bit at museum curators because it's like not quite as academic. I don't know. I mean, these are all nice people, but it's it's built in (laughs) bias that we all have in different parts of our life. So then I get to the museum and I'm interested in decorative arts yeah. and objects. And that, again, is like, oh, well, it's not painting and sculpture, which mm-hmm. I think you can just imagine is more highly <laughs> regarded. And then I got there, and I loved that. And then I found contemporary craft, which is just basically like the new version of historic decorative arts, you know, still cups and bowls, but sculpture, too, that's made from the same materials. That's another, that's a whole another <laughs> conversation. Um and I had this sense of being an underdog, which I think kind of energized me. It's like I kept going down in people's estimation in terms of what I was interested in. Um, and I thought, well, that's good. That means that that stuff is what's people haven't studied it as much. Mm-hmm. It's more interesting. There's more potential. So that really energized me. And the, the academic world of contemporary craft is really small which again is energizing because I pretty much know everybody else in the country who's working on this stuff. So we feel like we're part of a community. And again, when you feel like you're a bit of an underdog, you just, you know, it's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Um, And then the other big difference, so then I was at the museum and it was wonderful. I mean, so many amazing people who work there and you get to work, walk into one of the most beautiful buildings every day and look at the collections, be surrounded by creativity. Um, but most of the people we were dealing with were dead, <laughs> to put it, you know, succinctly. It's uh, historical stuff. And then I get to, you know, transition to this job at the Clay Studio, and I actually have the chance to ask somebody, yeah. why did you make that? Why does it look like this? How do you make it? That look this way. What what's your process? You know, tell me what you were thinking. What did? How did you decide to become an artist? All of these things that I really can't. I couldn't ask the people from 1850. So that again is like really energizing. Absolutely. Um, and it also means that I have a chance to support artists to help them keep being artists, which was it something that I get excited about every day. I mean, at the when we show artwork at the clay studio it's for sale we have a shop and we have a gallery and if something sells when something sells 50 (laughs) 50 percent of the um yeah you got to manifest what you want 
50% of the retail price goes right back to the artist. 50%, we're a nonprofit, but you know we need to pay our staff and keep the lights on. And it means that that artist is going to be able to make something else and pay their rent and do all that kind of stuff. So um, it's a big difference working at a museum um, and then working at a nonprofit where we sell work. Um, and I had to kind of come to terms with, well, I didn't go to grad school to try to convince somebody to buy art. What exactly is happening right now? Oh, right. But I'm helping them continue to be an artist and that. Yeah is really important. It's facilitating sort of the creative cycle. It's it's one of those things where you talk about it with musicians all the time. You're not paying for the album that's coming out, you're paying for them to do the next album. So that's ultimately what it is. So, you know, like I was sharing with you beforehand of doing this, it's like, yeah, I got that last year, you know, the, the funding and all to sort of do these interviews in this next arc to extend it and to further see that vision. So having someone supporting that in the arts and bridging arts and community, that's really important because one, it, I think it not only supports the people who are making the work now, but also it supports or enlightens the potential people who could be making the art later. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think community, though you just said community, is another thing that's really important to remember because it's not, it's the artists, but then it's the rest of us again, you know, why I'm a curator. The people who can benefit from going to look at something creative and just having a moment in the gallery of inspiration because they're, um, you know, they, they look at something and see something of their self in that or they see something that inspires them either just to have a feeling because I think feeling um, you know inspired and having positive feelings in in our society today is kind of sometimes hard to come by yeah. um, but it also means making sure that what we're doing is relevant to the community yeah. so when we moved into our new building we actually starting about five years ago we started having um, programs in the neighborhood where we moved to, which is South Kensington, where we reached out and said to the neighbors, we're coming to your neighborhood. We would like to be a responsible neighbor. We want to, um, we acknowledge that there is a culturally vibrant community here already. We engaged with the community organizations that already exist and said, can you help us reach out to people? And we asked them to be part of um, an advisory committee. That helped us plan the first exhibition that was in the building. Um, we met every other month. Turned out to be on Zoom because it was during COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was fine. We actually drove um, clay kits out to all the members' homes. And then during the meetings, we had one of our teachers who would lead that. We would have conversation about um, what they love about their community. What are their hopes for the future? What are their fears about the gentrification that's happening? And how can the clay studio be a positive force within that? And we kept engaging. We paid people for their time. When we did meet in person, we'd have dinner, we have childcare. Um, and that group helped us um, make the gallery more welcoming. They wrote labels that would be engaging in a different way than the curatorial labels, which we also had, um, but it was nice to have both perspectives. And then that group is now part of our ongoing exhibition council. So from now on, this wonderful group of neighbors is um, unified with the group that's sort of curatorial peers and donors who 
get to um, hear about all of our exhibition ideas, give us feedback about what they think. Again, we'll make it a welcoming place for everybody who they, you know, which artists that we're talking about they think are most compelling. Um, So they're not curating the shows, but they're advising us, which is a way to make sure that we're doing work that's relevant and accessible and um, reflective of the community. And that's that's very important. And thank you for sharing that. Um, it's one of those things. And I didn't have it in here, but I think it ans- answers the a question that I ask regularly: of how does a a city like a Philadelphia, I'm from Baltimore, but or a Philadelphia or Baltimore kind of like move ahead, you know, through the lens of arts, through the lens of culture, through the lens of community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like partnering in a true sense, like you were describing there. I think that's one of the answers on how to do it versus folks coming in and it's like, all right, kids, we're here, we're going to do it better because that's sort of the fix. Let's bring in folks that feel like influencers. That's what it feels like, and it's not good, and it's not indicative of who's around. It's excluding them, and it's not giving folks the opportunity, but from what you guys are doing, you're actually doing the opposite of bringing folks to the table, actually doing things in an equitable and a neighborly sort of way, which is, I think, something that enables one to have staying power and connectivity. It's like, you're a part of this, Mm. not just a visitor. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We are trying our best to do that. And the um, we have free clay classes on Saturdays. Um, we have an after-school program where kids from the neighborhood, we go pick them up from the elementary school and they um, do their homework and have a creative experience after school, which is really great. Um, yeah, what we built this big building. We, um, you know, asked the community to support us in that way. And we raised nine million dollars, and we are taking up space. And so, the staff really believes that if we need to be relevant to the community and and keep proving that we deserve to be there, and it's not just this thing that we did one time, yeah. but something that is now um, it was always part of our ethos, really, especially since Claymobile um, expanded and everything. But it is now something that we continually want to. Um, strive to improve and expand as we go into the future. Thank you. So I got a, I got a couple questions. I think I'm multiple parts, but I think yeah, judging by the earlier question where you <laughs> answered all of my bullet points in there, I think you'll, you'll knock this one out really easily. Um, so I heard this kind of term floating out, floating around um, the art of curation. So uh, could you speak on what's the, the art of curation? It may have been a, something attached to an interview you did in the past. <laughs> Um, interesting. Um, yeah, so curating is a creative pursuit, for sure. Um, you have to cons- think of a concept for an exhibition, and it has to be based in knowledge. I have to think about what artists are doing and a concept for the show that would reflect what's going on. You know, it can't just be out of left field and have no relevance to the artists we're working with. Um but it's also, um, it's kind. Of, you said earlier being a conductor. I mean, it's kind of that. That is what's happening. So you, you have an idea. You bounce it off people, like our um, exhibition council. When I have a big concept for a show these days, I immediately look for a co-curator. I don't think it's relevant anymore. I keep saying the word relevant. Um, 
to really my voice as a sole person is fine, but it's not gonna appeal to a wide range of people, sure. and it's. I'm always better on a team anyway, so I love having a different perspective. So you look for a co-curator who's maybe working on the same kinds of ideas or their life experience is going to have some kind of um, important resonance with whatever you're talking about. And then you you know think of artists who are going to be um, doing who are doing work that that engages with the ideas you're thinking. And then it's like a big dance of, okay, I need you to tell me if you want to be in the show. Can you write a statement? What kind of work are you going to do? And there's this wonderful period where it's all conceptual and you're having studio visits. And then it gets real. And you have to say, okay, how big is it? How much does it weigh? Do you need me to buy special hanging materials for this to be displayed in the gallery? Um, And it really is just a huge range of kinds of organizational skills that you have to bring to bear. Thank goodness we have a great team at the Clay Studio. Um, Although it's a, you know, we have 25 staff members. There's 350 staff members at the museum. So there, a curator's job is a lot different than mine. They think of the idea. They have lots of people to help them with the writing, with um, certainly their art handlers, so you never actually have to touch anything. There's marketing people, et cetera. We have like, the super, super pared down version of that, which is really great. It's empowering. It means that we're all um, involved in um, the really good conceptual parts of it. Sure. Um, and I, I love my colleagues, and we, we really work well together. Um, you know, you go from a place like the museum where you maybe once every 15 years a curator gets to do a big show to the place you do where we do a big show every year and then we have like 10 other exhibitions during the other parts of each of the years. So it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, and then I think the another really important thing is that you're collaborating all the time, not just with your colleagues, but with the artists. So the show that's up right now is called Figuring Space. And Dr. Kelly Morgan is my co-curator. And we um, looked to see what artists were making human scale figurative sculpture. So you have to have parameters or there's too many choices. And so we invited these people because of the work they had made in the past, tell them about our concepts. We had written this essay together. And we said, we want full scale human figurative sculpture and that is not always what we got. <laughs> and at first you're like, oh, um, a teddy bear. Okay, <laughs> that's not what we asked for. But then the artist tells you about why Roberto Lugo made a teddy bear instead of a human, and it's extremely powerful, and it is very relevant to the concept, and you're so thankful that yeah. you get to work with artists, and that's the point, that they can push back sometimes um, and expand your thinking. That, that sort of expansion and having the addendum or the extra storytelling component to it was really interesting. Um, I took a digital storytelling class, um, and it was kind of a, um, 
Nationals is a thank you and the opportunity for helping do an event. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, college course? Sure, I'll take that education for free? Sure. So I remember going in there, and this is my background, like audio, not visual. So we're doing videos. And I'm like, how can I skirt this? And I was like, eh, what I'll do is a bunch of stills, and I'll do all of this, like, modified, like, like vocal stuff in it. And I was like, it's still going to be captivating in that way. But literally, it's like one image that I'm changing the color of and switching out. And the people that were there, because it's rare that live and in person, I'm getting the critique. Mm. And people are like, oh, my gosh, this is really powerful. This is really interesting. And it was purely audio driven. Mm. And it went against what the assignment was. But it's just like, oh, this is what my vision is. And having sort of this... I guess, desire to really see that vision to its fruition and be able to tell a story as to why I may have gone against the grain a bit. I think that's what a lot of artists do. Absolutely. And it's a a gift when you get to be in conversation and an artist just makes a left turn and it is even better than what you could have imagined it was. So that's really great. I love what you said about storytelling too. I, curating is also storytelling. You have to imagine someone walking into the gallery what are they going to look at first are they going to read the labels i hope they are but usually not we work on those (laughs) (laughs) and you know even just the way they are going to walk around the gallery is going to be a story that unfolds in their head so you have to try to shape it in a way that that will make sense to people and then also acknowledge that it's going to be different for everyone yeah yeah there are different experiences going into that, um, just on a surface level. So, and I, and I like the way that you were describing it because often, at least from my vantage point, before really doing this podcasting and getting in, invested in having all of these arts conversations, uh, if like curation, that sort of world, museums, anything in that vein, art history, anything in that vein felt like so rarefied and, and mystifying. I was like, oh, this isn't for me, right? And then as I'm doing these interviews with folks, they'll tell me like, you know, you're doing curation, right? I was like, am I? Or you know, you're an artist, right? I was like, am I? And, and I don't know, but it just, just, for, just makes it more, I suppose, resolute in listening to your description of it as well. It's definitely demystifying. It makes it not seem rarefied. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about the the root of the word curator is curat, which in Latin means to care for. Um, and then, you know, you think about kind of old English and a curate was um, sort of a priest. And that word implied they were caring for the souls of mm. their flock. So to me, yeah, curating is about caring. Um, and you can think of it in the museum. You're down in the storage room caring for things, but you're also caring for the objects in the way you present them to the audience, and you're caring for the audience, too, yeah. because you're wanting them to have an experience. And absolutely, just as you were saying that, I was thinking, of course, you're curating your um, your podcast, and your the way that you ask questions is very similar to the way I ask questions of artists when I'm trying to figure out how to put their work in the gallery. So, Thank you. So I got two more real questions, and then I have rapid-fire questions for you. Oh, okay. Uh, you're going to get those as well, Jennifer. So, oh, my so. gosh. Well, I'll try. <laughs> um, could you speak on some of the like 
highs and lows of your role as a curator and as director of artistic programs like some of those because it's it can't all be wins and it can't all be losses like there's a like people may ask hey man so talk about the highs and lows of podcasting so there are more lows uh <laughs> but you're like oh three downloads isn't that something oh, um yeah. but also some of the highs are and I think it's always driven by the caliber of conversation I can have with folks. That's that's actually what makes it feel really good. That's the biggest. That's the highest of highs. Mm. So from your perspective, could you speak on that within your roles? Absolutely. Um, the highs of curating are getting to collaborate with people, um, sharing ideas, working with a co-curator where we have this amazing conversation and our two ideas join and create something bigger than either of us could have done alone. Um, certainly writing a really big grant <laughs> with my colleagues. Um, we have amazing development staff. And then getting the grant. Having this huge arts organization say, yeah, I think what you want to do is worthy of this amount of money. It just, maybe I shouldn't acknowledge that idea is um, really welcome, but it is a, a great pat on the back. It also means that we get to have the money that we need to pay artists and support the exhibitions the way we want to. For instance, this figuring space show, you can imagine a full-scale figure in clay, fired clay, it's going to be heavy, expensive to ship. They're from all over the country, and I didn't want any of those artists to have to worry about shipping costs, because yeah. if you want to do curating in an equitable way, you can't ask people to have to choose whether they're going to be in a show based on whether they can afford to ship the work to you. And so we got an NEA grant that is covering all the shipping. So that was a big high. Um, people walking in the door, uh, we had the opening of this show and almost all of the artists flew in from around the country. We were all together in the gallery. We had our community there. There were 400 people just all telling the artists how amazing their artwork is and how inspiring the artwork is to them. So that is wonderful. Um, yeah, the lows are kind of about money too. It's when we don't sell enough of the work, so I can't give the artists money and we have to think about our budget in very, I'll say, creative ways. Mm -hmm. um, and just you know, the, the weight of worry of, of budgeting is, that's definitely the worst part of it. Um, and being, again, in, on the leadership team of a small organization means that you get to make decisions and you get to decide that we believe community is really important and we're going to focus on it. But it also means that we are the ones who are responsible for making sure that the organization is financially healthy. That makes sense. Yeah. So thank you for that. And this is the the last real question. Okay. Um, so, you know, being involved with the community or have you, I want to get a sense of, from your vantage point, what makes the artists, the creative economy here in Philadelphia, like, so unique? Like, what separates it from, like, maybe other places you've been, other conversations you've had within that sort of network you were describing earlier? Talk yeah. about that. I think Philadelphia is amazing. I've lived here my whole adult life. I love it. I think there's just creativity oozing out of the streets, the cobblestones, the carvings on the buildings. That's what that was. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's others. That, well, no, we won't talk about that right now. But there is a sense of collaboration. I f have friends who work at all different arts organizations. 
there isn't the sense of cutthroat competition. It's more like, okay, we're doing this thing. We got this grant. How can we partner with one of our other organizations so we can share the wealth with them and make it more relevant to more people? Um, I, I just feel totally blessed to be in a community of people who truly like each other and want to work together. Um, because Philly is more affordable than other big art cities. Oh, New York. No. <laughs> I was going to say, which will remain unnamed. No, absolutely. Um, you can live here, mm-hmm. and people don't have to be as um, competition-driven because it means that you can um, you can make a living. You can ha- have a, a place to to both live and to make your art, and it's relatively affordable. It's changing a bit, but it's still a lot better than other places. And there's also um, a long history in Philly of collaborative arts organizations, artist-run organizations. So people will complain that there aren't enough kind of commercial galleries in Philly to support a big art scene, and a lot of folks still go up to New York if they feel like they made it and have a New York gallery. (laughs) But I think the reason that there aren't as many commercials is that there are a lot more nonprofit, artist-run galleries and organizations. I mean, just the founding of the Clay Studio, five people who just wanted to share studio space. There are a bunch of other organizations that are like that in Philly, and it's still a place where you can just get together with your friends and start something. Thank you. That's that's great. And I feel like we've established a fair amount of goodwill and, and collaborative conversation here. Yeah. Now it's time to get rid of all of that and go into these rapid fire questions. <laughs> oh, uh, no. I got I got four of them for you. Um, don't overthink them. People always overthink it. It's like, man, I got this long answer, man. So this is why this is my favorite movie. Okay. It's like, come on, tighten up. Okay. All right. Um, what is your favorite movie? <laughs> you gave me a little hint. Um the first thing that always pops into my head is Grease. Okay. Uh, what was the most recent song you listened to? I always have AirPods in, so I'm always listening to something. Uh, this is going to be very corny, but it's honest. honest. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a lot of Pitbull walking over here, and I was like, Ugh, what year is this? What am I doing? This is 2009. <laughs> yeah. Rob, tighten up. Well, I can't help but note that you are sitting right under the album cover for Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison, but... I was not listening to that recently, but I'm going to afterwards. Um, Tori Amos, Crucify. Um, Within your career and um, I guess however you want to frame it, um, what has worked best for you, book smarts or street smarts? Book smart and emotional intelligence. I'm not going to even see. I did that with the artists do. They give you back something you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm going to start working that in there as the third option because everyone likes three options. Then it's going to be some fool that's like, so I also do this. It's like, <laughs> don't add a fourth. I'm already giving you guys space. It's, it's binary here sometimes. Uh, and this is the last one. Um, and, and, and we like to, you know, support and help and all of that good stuff. What would be the best way for a new artist to get on your radar? Good question. Um, attend events in person. Introduce yourself to me. I'm pretty darn accessible. And yeah, I'm totally open to people sending me an email with some um, images, uh, invitation to visit a studio. I don't always have time right away, but we can always put something on the calendar in the future. And then I'm going to add something else here Please. as well. 
my biggest advice is to write thank you notes. So I teach a professional practices in the crafts class, and I always say, you know, you, you're going to meet people. If you want them to remember you, write them a note. An email is fine, but if you write a handwritten card, somebody's going to remember that when you go back and apply for a show or a residency. They'll know that you are interesting, you're thoughtful, you're respectful, and you're grateful, which means you're going to be a good community member. I mean, it seems like such a little thing and rarefied. People hardly do it anymore. But that's a benefit because if you do it, you're going to stand out. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Jennifer Zwilling from the Clay Studio in Philadelphia for coming on to the podcast and sharing a bit about her story and her work. And for Jennifer, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Oh,